You are now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We have a lot to celebrate in the birth and the life and the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, right? And, uh, you know, we just watched the baptism, which is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we do that. It's a reminder. It's what we call a church ordinance. So as often as we see that, we're reminded of what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross, was buried, and he rose again on the third day. And so we've you know, put this series together based upon Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, and he shall be called. That's kind of where it was. But I'll be honest with you. You know, Tom did a fantastic job last week of talking about wonderful counselor. And, you know, today talking about um, mighty God. Uh, I, I honestly, I thought I had what I was going to preach kind of in my head. And then, you know, Tracy and I went on vacation last week and I was on a cruise ship and I had to come back and preach today. We drove back yesterday from Jacksonville and I wasn't ready. And so I had taken my laptop and my computer and, you know, and all my books and everything. And, and one night I just was like, I've got, I've got to get ready for this. I've got to. So I went and found a spot on the very back of the ship uh, alone. I thought I was alone. I was alone on the back of the ship looking out over the ocean. And it was just a beautiful, crisp, like 72 degree night. It was just beautiful. The sea breeze blowing. And I thought, man, these creative juices are going to just start flowing. And so I start doing it. I'm praying. I'm talking to God. And guess who shows up? Santa Claus. I'm sitting there minding my own business. And Santa Claus walks out on the deck. It was a guy dressed as Santa Claus. He wasn't the real deal. Um, I think he was smoking a cigarette. Um, <laughs> I don't think Santa smokes. He wouldn't live nearly as long as he does. Um, but anyway... So anyway, after I got Santa out of my mind, I really just started praying and, and focusing on that again and spent a couple hours out there. And man, it's just like this message just really came, um, came together for me on the back of that ship. And so God does show up on a cruise ship. And it was amazing when he did. Um, but one of the things I was thinking about, I was thinking about this passage and how far before the birth of Christ it actually occurred. And it was 700 years, 700 years. And I was thinking, you know, it was almost like God just started dropping down some hints and going, hey, I'm gonna be sending you the greatest gift ever in the form of my son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and I just wanna give you some hints along the way. And I started relating to that about a time that I was a teenager. And I used, when I finally got a job, when I was 15, and I was able to start like buying gifts for other people. I enjoyed that process. And I had a younger brother at the time uh, who was a couple years younger than me and he loved deer hunt. He loved deer hunting. And so I had gone out and bought him a very nice deer knife, a deer skinning knife so he could clean the deer and all that he killed and I could watch because I wasn't a very good hunter. And so, um, so I, would, I had bought him this gift and, and I had put it, it was in the package and it was under my truck seat. And we were driving along one day and, um, and I, just, I just wanted to drop some hints as, you know, as much as I could without telling him what it was. And I said, hey, would you like to see the package that your knife is in? <laughs> yeah, in that moment I went, Oh, I meant to say the package that your Christmas gift is in, but I told him what it was. So I gave it to him right there on the spot. And that's kind of, as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about 700 years before Jesus came, God starts saying, 
hey, I just want to drop you some hints. I want to just start giving you an idea of what your gift is going to look like. And some would even argue that God began dropping those hints back in Genesis chapter 3 when he promised the, the child who would bruise the head of the serpent. And so we three, see throughout the Old Testament these little nuggets, these little Easter eggs, if you will, of hints about who Jesus was going to be and what he was going to look like. And so in Isaiah chapter nine, verse one, we'll pick up the story here that the prophet is saying, he says, but there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, talking about the nation of Israel. um, And we'll talk about who specifically here in just a moment. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Now these were two areas that were terrorized by the nation of Assyria. Assyria bore, now these two, these two um, areas of Israel, two of the, the tribes area, were in the northeastern corner. And just to the east of that was this other country called Assyria. And they were constantly nagging them and they were constantly terrorizing them. We would know that as modern day Iraq. And so he goes on. And he says, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness on them has light shown. So God has promised this this idea of hope through the prophet Isaiah. He's saying, listen, you're being terrorized by Assyria, but hope is on the way. Life is getting you down. Hope is on the way. So I want you to start looking. So he goes on and he says, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with the joy at as with joy at the harvest, or basically as happy as you are about payday is about how happy you're going to be. That's what the harvest was talking about, about payday. And you get excited about payday. He says, so um, they rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And he goes on, he says, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. We're going to come back to that, but basically what he was saying, that, that you were going to be as happy as the day that World War II was over, because this was a big battle, and we're going to come back and talk about that in just a moment. For every, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For, the, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So what God was saying, he said, if you want to know what this gift is going to be like, if you want to know what this child is going to be like, let me just tell you, he is going to be a wonderful counselor. He's going to be a mighty God. He's going to be an everlasting father, and he is going to be the prince of peace. And today, I want us to concentrate on mighty God. Now, this word mighty God, or these two words here, mighty God, when I was reading this, I'm like, there's a little, there's a little paradox going on here. I mean, he's talking about a mighty God in the form of a little child. 
Now, we just had three little children up here, and Lydia didn't look like she was capable of being this mighty God. Lucas didn't look like he was going to be capable of being this mighty warrior, if you will. But that's what the prophet Isaiah was saying. He was saying, listen, this Savior, this child who is going to be born, who is going to bring you joy, who's going to bring you hope, who's going to deliver you out of the torment that you're under, listen, he is going to be coming in the form of a child, and he will be a mighty God. And you think about a child, they are so vulnerable, they are so precious, but yet they are so dependent. They're the most dependent things. They can't feed themselves, they can't clothe themselves, they can't take care of themselves in any way. They are completely dependent upon someone else. But this child is going to be the almighty God. And we're going to come back to that in just a moment. But I want to jump back up to this day of Midian that, that the Isaiah wrote about. Now, Midian was a nation that constantly terrorized the Israelites. It was always going on in Israel's history, even to this day. Other nations terrorizing them. But the Midianites, they were a terror. I mean, they were, they were full of terror. They were, they were constantly coming at them. They were taking their food. They would take their animals. They would take all of their tools. They would even take all of their, their jewelry and everything. They were just constantly going after them. So the Israelites had tried for years to fend off the Midianites, but they never could. And so they come to God and they say, God, what we need you to do for us, we need you to send us a deliverer, somebody who will deliver us from the oppression of the Midianites. And God says, I've got just the man and his name is Gideon. Gideon was the one that God sent in response to deliver the Israelites from the terror of the Midianites. But Gideon was the most unlikely mighty warrior. As a matter of fact, when God told him that he was going to use him, the, the angel of the Lord appeared, may have been a Theophilus, a, 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 a Jesus early on. <laughs> the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. So he comes to Gideon, he says, you are a mighty warrior and the Lord is going to be with you to deliver the Israelites from the hands of the Midianites. But there was only one problem. Gideon had zero military ability. Gideon had zero strength within himself. And so his response down in verse 15, he says, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? As a matter of fact, listen, God, behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Not only is my family a weak family, I mean, we got some problems, okay? Anybody else got some families and problems? Gideon was saying to God, my family's the weakest in the entire clan of Manasseh. We're nobodies, and of my family, I'm the runt, I'm the tiniest, most insignificant person in all of Manasseh. There's nothing that I can do. But God was telling Gideon, he was saying, listen, what I'm going to use you to do is something that is going to be so enormous that the only person that can get credit for it will be me. He said, so what you're going to do is this Midianite army is going to come against you. Okay, they're going to come against you and they're going to come and they're going to have 120,000 military men. But I want you to go and do battle with them with 300. And so Gideon and his group, his platoon of 300 go out and defeat 
the army of 120,000. He did that. And I look at this story and I see how God has put this in this, this uh, prophecy with Isaiah. And I'm thinking, it is just like God to do something great through something so small. That's just like God to do that, right? The moral of the story is this. It's, it's just Jesus is, God is just likely to do something great through something so small, And if we go back to look at what Jesus did, or the prophet Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah, and he says that Jesus, this child, shall be called mighty God. Using someone so small, someone that is so vulnerable coming into this world, but yet he's going to use Jesus to do something so great. He's going to be a mighty warrior. As a matter of fact, this is the little Hebrew phrase that describes this. It's El Gibon, or El Gibor. El is just, it's the Hebrew for God. We're familiar with that. It means the mighty one is what it literally means. But this is the adjective that describes that. And what he's talking about here, the Gibor means mighty. So basically the child shall be called the mighty, mighty one. The mighty, mighty one, this small child, this, this little insignificant baby is going to be the mighty, mighty one who will deliver Israel, who will deliver us. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Everything was in that little manger that day that Jesus was born. So the bottom line is this. I want you to get this. Small things surrendered to God accomplish great things. Small things surrendered to God can accomplish great things. You look, at, you look at Gideon, surrendered to God. God defeated an army of 120,000 through a man and his army of 300. Very, very unlikely scenario, but that's God. God chose out of all of Jesse's children, the shepherd boy that was out in the field and he called him in. And he was the most unlikely one to be anointed king. But yet God called him in and said, David is going to be the anointed king of Israel. God loves to use small, seemingly insignificant people and things to bring about his mighty accomplishments. And that's so true throughout all of history when you look at the Old Testament. But then you jump over into the New Testament. I was just thinking, man, there's a lot of illustrations of where God used small things to accomplish great things. The feeding of the 5,000, if you know this story, there was a group of people, Jesus had been teaching them, and they got hungry. And the disciples said, send them off, go into the cities to eat. But Jesus said, no, 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 what do we have available to us? And you know what they had available to them? A small boy whose mom had packed his lunch. And in his little lunch pail, there were five loaves and three fishes. Five loaves of bread and three little fish. And Jesus said, sit everybody down and we're about to feed them all. And they did. God used something so small and so seemingly insignificant to accomplish his work that day by feeding the 5,000. Another one that I love in the New Testament is this mustard seed illustration. The mustard seed, if you've ever seen one, they are so tiny. I mean, if you could see that hole in between my fingers, that's about the size of a mustard seed. It is so, so small. It was just an insignificant seed, but yet Jesus used it as an illustration for some pretty great things. In Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is described as a mustard seed. He's saying something that starts out so small 
in the form of a baby, grows to be something so enormous that it impacts the entire world. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. When it's planted and it begins to grow, it has significant outreach and significant influence, momentum around the world. It is a life-changing movement that Jesus started in the form just as small as a mustard seed. Another thing that, that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 17 is faith, the size of a mustard seed. And when I read that, I'm like, faith the size of a mustard seed, if we have that kind of faith, we can move mountains? I've never seen a mountain moved. Never. Never seen one moved, except by a bulldozer, maybe. They can move a hill. But, but what Jesus was saying in this, he's saying, listen, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, doesn't matter how much you have, but that little bit of faith placed in the right person can change some things. Place our faith in Jesus Christ. Some things will be changed. I wish I had time to tell you a little bit of a context around that whole thing. When you go to Israel, you can see what, what Jesus might have been talking about with that. But not just that, the 12 disciples. If you think about these 12 disciples, these guys were insignificant individuals. As a matter of fact, they were fishermen, uh, they were a tax collector, somebody that nobody liked at all. And these men, Jesus called them to be his followers. And as a result, these 12, one of them was actually, you know, Judas, so he was the betrayer. He was gone, so they had to replace him. And so these 12 original disciples multiplied into the 72 that Luke, that Luke writes about in Luke chapter 10 that went out, and they went out spreading the good news of Jesus Christ and after that, we see that 72 multiply into 120 in the upper room on the night of Jesus doing the, the Last Supper with his disciples. They weren't the only one in the room. There was about 120 people gathered together in the upper room that day. And then after that, we go to the day of Pentecost, or actually at the ascension of Jesus, we see that multiply into 500. And then after that, we see the day of Pentecost. Well, that multiplied into thousands, 3,000 people were added to the church that day alone. And then if we read over and later on to the book of Acts, like Acts 18 right in there, we learn that by that time, all of the known world at the time had heard about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so God used these 12 original disciples to do an enormous work to spread the gospel around the globe. So God uses insignificant things or things that we would look at and say, that is so insignificant, but yet God uses them in enormous ways. So my question to you is this, what could Jesus do with your surrendered life? What could Jesus do if you fully surrendered your life to him? And listen, none of us have, and none of us have. I'm a pastor. My life is not fully surrendered to God. There are areas of my life I'm constantly doing battle with God over. That God, I want to hang on to that part. You can have the rest, but this part I want. I got this. And he said, no, I need it all. And occasionally, you know, I'll surrender that and I'll, yeah, I'll take it back. And what would happen if we really fully surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ? Now, one area I will tell you that I have fully surrendered my life to, and that is to my salvation. The salvation. Maybe you're here today and you have been trying to do this on your own. You've been trying to be in good favor with God. That maybe when you get to heaven, 
And somebody said, what if, if you got to heaven and God says, why would I let you in? And you would go, listen, I got a long list of reasons you ought to let me in. You know, I've given, I have sacrificed, I read my Bible a couple of times, and you know, God, I pray to you every single day, and, and I even help that person that was in need, and you start listing those things. Every Christmas, I give gifts to the needy, and you start listing all of these works. You know what Jesus would look at you and say? That's not good enough. That's not good enough. You could sell everything and it wouldn't be good enough. What you need to do is you need to surrender your life to Jesus Christ for your salvation. You need to trust him as your savior and your Lord. John 3, 16 says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only baby son, this little child, insignificant, seemingly insignificant, that whoever believes in him or puts their faith and their trust in him and in him alone for their salvation, believes in him, should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So the first thing that you need to do that all of us need to do is we need to surrender our lives to him for the purpose of our salvation. Trust Jesus. Put your faith and your trust in him as your savior and your Lord. But another thing that I believe if we would just surrender our life, it would help us to overcome our weaknesses. And I've got a few of these. I've confessed a few of them to you. There's some that I'll probably never tell you. But I've got my own weaknesses and you've got your own weaknesses. And, and all throughout history, every single person has weaknesses that we struggle with, things that we are constantly dealing with. And here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He says, but he said to me, Jesus said this to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Where are you the weakest? Where are some areas of your life that you just give in and you're just weak all the time? You, see, you feel like you're always giving in to that temptation. You feel like you're always uh, giving in to that indulgence. And you just, need to, you just need to back up sometimes and go, listen, God, I've tried over and over and over on my own to overcome this weakness. And what he says is, surrender to me. Surrender your life to me. Because when you're weak, I am made strong. It's in your imperfections that my strength is made perfect in your weaknesses. So rather than trying all the self-help things and all the other ways and means that you're trying to go about fixing your life, why don't you just surrender it to Christ and just say, listen, God, I don't know exactly what this looks like, but I am surrendering this to you today. And I am depending upon you to help me in my weaknesses. How about with enduring hardships? Anybody have any hardships this year? A few of us. I mean, you know, years ago I learned you're either going into a hardship, you're in a hardship, or you're coming out of one. It's one or the other. You're, you're in one of those three phases. Hardships are coming. And Paul, of all people, knew about hardships. As a matter of fact, while he was in prison, he wrote these words, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and in hunger, abundance and in need. Paul was saying, there's sometimes I've got more than I need. 
I know how to function in those times. As a matter of fact, sometimes those are easy times. But I also know how to function when I'm in need. When I didn't know, when Paul says, I didn't even know where my next meal was going to come from. I didn't even know where my next dollar was coming from. I know in those moments how to suffer well. I know how to endure those because it's in through Christ Jesus. And he follows it up by saying this, a very familiar verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The most taken out of context verse in all of scripture. This is not the verse to use to help you open the pickle jar. I can't read this verse enough and claim this verse enough to make me an NBA basketball player. I couldn't read this verse enough and claim this verse enough to make me the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. It is just not going to happen. But you know what I can do? I know that when I suffer need and when I have want and when things are not going my way, when things, when life is just bringing some hardships, I can make it through it because I can do those things through Christ who gives me the strength. It's not in my own strength. It's in Christ's strength. And some of you are going through a hardship and you're trying to manage it yourself. You think you can control things? No, we don't have any control over life whatsoever. But we can trust the one who does have control. And we can say, God, no matter what I face, no matter what hardship I face, I'm going to just trust you because that little baby that was born in that manger is my savior. And he endured some hardships and I can do all things through him who gives me strength. And I just would have to mention this one, the Great Commission. As a church, this is what we're here for, to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And my prayer for 2023, you're gonna hear more about this, is that all of us would become disciple makers. And you wouldn't just think that's the preacher's job and that's the staff's job and that's the men's group's job, that's the women's ladies, uh, the ladies' group's job. No, it's all of our jobs. And when Jesus was standing on a hillside with his 12 followers, he said this, and he came to them and he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus said, all of the authority, everything that you can think of, it's all been given to me. And what I want you to do with my authority is I want you to go and make disciples of all nations, not just the Jerusalem, the, the Jews in Jerusalem and the surrounding area in Israel. No, I want you to go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And listen, behold, this is a command. Behold, don't forget, I am with you always to the end of the age. You may be sitting here today and you go, I don't have a clue about how to make a disciple of someone. Jesus does. And he has commissioned you and empowered you to do it. After the first service, a lady came up to me and she says, listen, I just want, I'm I'm entering into a discipleship relationship with my daughter-in-law and I need some help. So we gave her a new believer box to go and take back to her daughter-in-law to help her in equipping her to make a disciple of her daughter. We want to equip you to do that, but it is all of our jobs to do that. And you can do it through Jesus Christ who has all authority and has sent us out. So the bottom line today, once again, small things surrendered to God accomplish great things. Man, if we would just surrender our lives to him, what could he do through us? What could you overcome that you're currently going through if you just surrendered your life wholly and fully to him? 
If you've never trusted him as your savior, today we would love to lead you to that place so that you can know for sure that if you got to heaven and God said to you, why should I let you into heaven? You could emphatically say, because I've trusted Jesus as my savior. And he'd say, come on in, come on in. Today, that's the answer we want you to have. So please come talk to me, come talk to Tom. There'll be some deacons up here with us in the front. Come talk to us or meet us back in the guest VIP room. Maybe today you just need to get at the altar and just surrender some things to him. You've been trying to do it all on your own. And God is saying, listen, I have placed this mighty God in your presence to help you overcome, to help you in your weaknesses, to help you with your uh, overcoming and, and your endurance, to help you endure the hardships that you're going through. And God wants to empower you to be a disciple maker as well. So just get on your face before him and say, God, today I surrender it all to you. So let's all stand together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for that little baby born and placed in the manger. And God, in this auditorium, I know there are probably dozens of Gideons. We feel so insignificant and so helpless. But yet, God, a life fully surrendered to you can accomplish many things for you. And so it's my prayer today that we would live surrendered lives. If there is someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, they've never taken that first step. It's my prayer today that they would be saved by trusting Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.